Hello and welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich. Another longtime friend joins me today, seems to be the trend these days. He's educator David J. Smith, a classroom teacher who awes his students with information that can bring us all together. His specialty is geography, and his teaching has led him to write and publish some incredibly popular books, hundreds of thousands of copies sold around the world. They include If the World Were a Village, If America Were a Village, Mapping the World by Heart, this Child, Every Child, and If, which is a new way to look at big ideas and numbers. All of the books share the same magic formula of quantifying enormous numbers, concepts, and culture into easy-to-understand morsels. When David was a guest on my late-night radio show dozens of times, along with geography quizzes for our listeners, we poured over the fascinating data about diversity, about customs, food, energy, wealth, boiling things down in fun ways, bringing us all a bit closer to each other, and to understanding the world. David's website is djsmapping.com, and Mr. Smith, class is now in session as we enter on mic. David, it is such a treat to actually see you from halfway across the world and to be with you. Welcome. Thank you very much, Jordan. It's wonderful to be with you again. It's been a few years. It has. How many nights did we get together on WBZ late night and do geography quizzes? How many nights? I just counted them up. It's about 25. <laughs> Oh, man. I always feel like Ed Sullivan, you know, having Alan King on the show 52 times. But I'm thrilled that, that you're back and we can reconnect. Listeners would love to know what you're up to. First of all, the books. There were so many. If America Were a Village, This Child, Every Child, If the World Were a Village, the book If. They're all similar in nature. They all have an impact on kids, but adults enjoy them as well. Tell me about the first book and how that all got started. The first book was If the World Were a Village, and I have this um, curriculum called Mapping the World by Heart, which I wrote an article about it for a magazine. The article generated lots of interest, and the, the, uh, a producer at the Today Show called and said, you know, can we send a camera crew to your classroom for the whole month of May? And I said, no, of course not. Um, <laughs> But uh, we could probably figure out one day when you could turn the, the school into a zoo, probably 14 hours of tape, and they had the makeup person work with me and so on. It was really silly. And um, when that was over, I had a huge number of phone calls. Remember those old pink while you were out slips? Oh, do I ever. Yeah, it was a big stack of them. And I called people back and, what have you got that we can publish? And I said, I don't have anything. I'm a school teacher. But um, one of the editors at William Morrow came to my classroom, and she said, you must have something. And we found an activity I'd done with my students where I asked them, it was basically a data search. If the world, uh, at that point, it was five and a half billion or something, um, were a village of 100, what could we learn? Where do people live? What languages do they speak? What religions do they practice? And the children had all done that. And she said, this is going to be a great book. So I said, well, okay. And they sent me an advance and I polished up the, the manuscript. And two, two and a half years later, they wrote me and said, we can't find the right illustrator. We don't know what to do, but we won't be able to publish this in any way that's fair to you. So we're going to give it back to you. Hmm. And then a, a, about a week later, I sold it to Workman Publishing and the same thing happened. Then in 1999, Workman did the same thing. 
So I figured, okay, I'm just going to spend my life renting this manuscript to one publisher after another. Instead, I found a publisher in Toronto called Kids Can Press. They're a, a subsidiary of a huge conglomerate called Chorus Entertainment. I signed with them, and two years later, they produced If the World Were a Village. Illustrations. Talk about that briefly, and then I want to get into some of the fun facts. They found an illustrator in Toronto named Shayla Armstrong, S-H-E-L-A-G-H, Shayla Armstrong. And she had never done a children's book before. She'd done coins for the Canadian Mint and stamps for Canada Post and those kinds of things. But she came into Kids Can Press one day and said, my friends all tell me that my, my illustrations are childlike enough that I should bring some samples to you. They looked at it, and then they handed her my manuscript and said, okay, do what you can with this. It was first published in February of 2002. It's now the first edition, that is to say, without any major changes, just trivial changes to the numbers, uh, went through 18 printings. And then we did a second edition, changed about 50% of the content. And students, when I go to schools, they ask me, well, what? When did you finish writing this book? And I have to explain that I never finished that all the time. Every time they're going to do a reprint, they call me and say, okay, what numbers do we need to change for the next reprint? And the population of the world, for example, changes constantly. Mm. You can go to one of the world population counters that the Census Bureau and uh, others put online, and you can just watch those numbers roll over. You're being very humble, David. Uh, This book has sold hundreds of thousands, if not millions of copies across the globe, as have the other books that have followed. Could you do me a favor and just point out some of the facts in whatever edition you have in front of you? Because it really illustrates what you're doing here. You're you're allowing children to, to look at the world in a much more accessible way. If the world were a village of 100 people, I'm just opening the latest printing, so I've got the right numbers. Um, about seven and a half billion people. China has over a billion. India has more than a billion, 300 million. So it, it's soon going to be second. But what it does is if, if the, this number of people were reduced to 100, what could we learn? Well, 60 are from Asia. 16 are from Africa. And 19 of the ones from Asia are from China. And then there's a page on on languages, the most widespread languages. The numbers, it goes from Chinese to English to Hindi to Spanish to Arabic to Bengali to Russian to Mm. Portuguese. And one of the things that I've seen since the book started was that the numbers of people in China and who speak Chinese, any, any dialect, and who speak Hindi, those numbers are getting closer and closer together. Before long, Hindi is going to surpass English. And then after that, it may very well surpass Chinese as well. It's interesting the way you teach and the way these books work. Uh, it makes it so, as I say, accessible to little ones, but also to big ones. The book If, which is more recent, has to do with the universe. So you've gone from the world, you took America apart and put it back together again in beautiful form, and you even did it with right. the universe. Yeah. yeah. If America were a village, does that for the U.S. Absolutely. But I love the dinner plate uh, analogies. Yeah, the dinner plate analogy is fun. If the Milky Way galaxy were shrunk to the size of a dinner plate, 
our whole solar system would be smaller than a speck of dust on that plate. (laughs) And that's just our galaxy, the Milky Way. If the whole universe were a stack of dinner plates, then no one really knows for sure the size of the whole universe. But the stack would be at least 6,720 kilometers high. (laughs) The, the, The one thing in that book, if, which I just love, is one sidebar that says, if you took the history of the Earth, 4.6 billion years, roughly, the entire time span of the Earth's existence, reduced it to a two-hour DVD, and you pop the DVD into your player and get out your bowl of popcorn for a two-hour binge, at what point in those two hours would the first human being ancestor of ours shamble across your TV screen? Well, the answer is in the final second. <laughs> I always love that when you shared that with me on the air. I love that I statistic. Yeah, it's great. And, and all of recorded history, which is roughly 8,000, 9,000, 10,000 years, all of that would fit into the final 1 16th of a second. Wow. You have always been the kind of teacher who makes learning a lot more fun. You made it fun for us on the air, and you do it in the classroom, and you do it with these books. Why is geography and a knowledge of space and time so critical? I mean, it it makes sense to me that if you know where things are and who people are and where they're speaking certain languages, you're likely to be a more well-informed, more well-rounded person. But talk a little bit about your passion for geography. I see that there just aren't enough teachers teaching geography passionately. That's not to say that there aren't teachers who are doing it well. That's not to say that there aren't teachers who are having fun with it. But by and large, geography becomes, you know, name that country and name its capital instead of who lives there, what languages do they speak? When you go to that country, how do you greet other people? And, And do you bow? Do you do an Anjali with your hands? I'm working on another manuscript about greetings around the world. Your your friend and mine, Peter Reynolds, may have a hand in that too. But um, it was so much fun researching it. There are places in the world that are high desert countries like Namibia, where the greeting in the local language is Wo Halapo. And Wo Halapo doesn't say hi or how are you. It says, have you had rain? (laughs) Okay. Makes sense if you're from a desert area. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. In New Zealand, if you're greeting somebody who's part of the Maori group, the the polite thing to do is touch foreheads and noses, and and it's sharing breath. Might be a little tricky in the current pandemic. In the time of COVID, it would be tricky. (laughs) What I love about the messaging here is that when we learn about others, we tend to fear them less. We tend to understand them more. And particularly now in this country and elsewhere, where so many people seem to be at odds in, in disparate camps, just getting to know what another person's really like and what their customs are like has to be a, a great boon. Wouldn't you agree? I, I keep remembering things like um, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. They're talking about, you know, what's the point of this? The, the, the narrator who sits yes. up on top of a, of a stepladder yes. tells the audience what's going on on the stage. He says, you know, we just don't know enough about our neighbors. But all over the world, every morning, 
there are families who get up in the morning, gather around a table, eat breakfast, and then go on about their day. And we don't have any idea what they're eating for breakfast. And we don't have any idea about what language they're speaking. And just to understand other people means that we will not be so worried about them. We will not be so unforgiving about them. I couldn't agree more. And I think what you've done and the people around you and your team for children, young children and uh, older kids like me, given us a chance to reflect on where we are and where they are. And I, we all have breakfast for the most part. We all <laughs> love our kids no matter where we're from. And I think that's the beauty of what you've done. And, and obviously it's working because you keep selling like hotcakes, these books. The books keep selling. If the World War Village now has 36 or 37 foreign language editions. <laughs> and if, I mean, it's only been out four or five years, but um, it's, it's now got 10 or 12 foreign editions. I know you mentioned you were on with me 25 times on our late night show, Beaming Across the Country. And you would always uh, bring stacks of books for giveaways when we had geography quizzes. And I haven't done the math, but I would venture to say 25 times at least 10. We probably gave out three or 400 of your books and created a, a groundswell. So. People love them and still tell me about them to this day. And uh, I'm looking at across your shoulder and I see a stack in your library of it looks like your books. I'm just looking at the spine. Am I right? Just over my right shoulder. Yes. The the green spine, um, that's the first 18 printings of If the World Were a Village. For some reason, I thought it would be fun to hang on to them. Absolutely. And then, and then the yellow and the blue are the paper and most recent editions of If the World Were a Village. Before we let you go, can you share with us one or two fun facts from any of the books that are some of your favorites? You've already done so, but a few more would be delightful. One, one of the things that is very eye-opening to kids in If is the page about money. If all of the world's money were divided into 100 coins, the richest 1% of the world's population would have 40 of those coins, mm. almost half. The next 9% would have 45 coins, which means that 10% of the world's population has 85% of the world's money. And kids are just amazed and dismayed. If all the world's energy consumption was a big chocolate bar hmm. with, tw with 12 squares, people in Asia, Oceania, and the other islands of the Pacific would consume four squares. I just, it's an amazing, the thing that, that amazes me is how fast numbers have changed. Hmm. When the book was first published, fewer than 6 billion people, and now 7.5 billion, almost, well, closing in on 8 billion when the book was first published, there were something like 34 phones. Now it's almost 200. <laughs> Incredible. David, it's uh, delightful to uh, connect with you. Uh, let me give the website djsmapping, M-A-P-P-I-N-G.com, the DJS for David J. Smith. I just hope you keep going and, and sharing with the world like the Pied Piper, all of these wonderful stories and all of these wonderful analogies because it really makes sense i had to postpone a bunch of visits to other countries and schools because of covid but as soon as it's over i'm going to be back on the road again you so will I'm be sure I'm get on a plane we've got the technology now for you to beam yourself anywhere thankfully that's right yeah, so. beam me up buddy <laughs> david uh, i will keep in touch with you uh, many people will hear this podcast and uh, i i love you madly thank you so much for doing this I, today i'm so grateful jordan thank you 
David J. Smith, a great friend, a wonderful teacher, and a prolific author with thousands of books sold across the world, visit djsmapping.com. My thanks to Dan Tebow of Fast Twitch Media, to Ken Carberry of Chart Productions. Most importantly, to you for subscribing and downloading this podcast. We're growing in numbers all over the world every single week, and I certainly appreciate that. Do remember to rate and review this podcast. It helps spread the word. Until next time, this is Jordan saying, as always, be well so you can do good. Take care. <laughs>